This podcast is part of the GWC Network. For more information on it or to check out some of our other awesome podcasts, visit us at galacticwatercooler.com. After the tone, enjoy the show. Welcome to Modern Geek Podcast number 40, recorded April 22nd, 2012. I'm Chuck. I'm Juan. Welcome back to Modern Geek. Yes, number 40. Yeah, wow, we're getting right up there, aren't we? Oh, yeah. I, don't know, I, I, I know I say this every time, but April's almost over now, too. It's, this is ridiculous. <laughs> So much to do, and time just keeps flying by. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> you are not kidding. <laughs> I, uh, I, I had noticed in, uh, that Intel uh, dropped a little announcement that they were going to put out a 60-gig SSD for like 90 bucks now. I didn't look at the specs. Did you look at any of them? Is it real? I, I did, and as far as I can tell, it looks like it's for the, uh, the Intel SSD 330 series. Which is using like the Sandforce chipset, which seems to have a relatively good um, performance rating. Like you know, a lot of the time with these SSDs, the really cheap ones, they're going to have yeah. a really low IOs per second. So like say you know like uh, you know like less than twenty thousand read and you know less than eight thousand write or something like that. This one rates pretty pretty high up there. I mean, it's it's not quite the fastest thing ever. It's got a 42,000 IOs per second, which is still like um, sequential read of like 500 megabytes a second <laughs> and a write speed of 450 megabytes a second. So it, at, off the top of what I can find on it, it seems to, the real news of this seems to be that a SSD this good is being this cheap. Yeah, because there, there have been people, they're not all created equal. And let's face it, you're not dropping an SSD in for more space. You're dropping an SSD in for speed. Right. Yeah, you know? I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is what, a 60 gig drive. So, I mean, yeah. you're not going to be storing necessarily data on here, but for applications, like as an actual like root uh, or C drive, as, as you would call it on the Windows side, I mean, it's, it's, it would be a great thing to have one of these in there. And I just love that these are getting cheaper and cheaper. Me too, because it's really going to extend the life of hardware. Well, it's, it's extended the life of my mini. I mean, earlier, I guess it was earlier this year or last year, maybe um, I put the SSD in my, uh, in my Mac mini and it, it was on its last legs and now it's, it's, it's holding its own for now. So, you know, it, it's a great way and now a cheap way to extend the life of the, of a computer. Oh yeah, and you know, here's the thing: you put an SSD in an older box, and and that plus memory equals additional lifespan. And the funny thing is, though, you put an SSD in a in a modern machine, and it's scary. I mean, it's oh, scary fast. Yeah. So I mean, I my first like laptop SSD experience came recently when mm-hmm. I, I yeah I picked up a new laptop, which is and it has an SSD in it, and I'm like. Holy crap! It's it's just stupid fast, you know. Oh yeah, and well, and that that's the thing is that the, the newer hardware that's like geared for SATA three and, and can really take advantage of of these SSDs. I mean, the 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 bottleneck is no longer the the I O, which is scary. 
how how much that has limited us in the last 10 years. Yeah, it's funny because you think of speed in terms of processor, you know, and, and the truth is it is, except there are really two kinds of speed that you're dealing with. I mean, one is really processor intensive stuff like like video transcoding, right? Right. And then the the other is just IO based, which is like starting word, for example. Starting yeah. starting word does not require a whole lot of, you know, math. It does have some, but not a lot. It does, yeah. however, require a whole lot of file access and a lot of other garbage. And, you know, the difference, you may have a super fast processor, but with a drive, it's still going to take it, you know, 15, 20 seconds to get Word going if you're lucky. Oh, well, yeah, it's, it's reading 300 megabytes of program data into memory. I mean, the, when it comes down to it, a hard drive can really only spin that fast. And that's the advantage of the SSD is that's not really the concern anymore. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, on a laptop where, you know, you are... You know, an SSD-based laptop with a reasonably modern processor, uh, I am starting Microsoft Word right now, and I'm looking at a document. Right. I mean, that was it, literally. I mean, it, I couldn't even say it fast enough. Yeah, it's it's just there. Yeah, you like, just... yeah Bounce, done. <laughs> exactly. So this stuff that you do a lot, like read your mail, switch between mail and Word, you know, crap like that is just blindingly fast you know oh yeah which is which is awesome and and yes i mean and to be honest that's a lot of the perception of how fast a computer is i mean it really when it comes down to it, it really doesn't matter what the damn processor speed is um for the most part it's it's how Within fast reason, is it yeah. well yeah it's how fast is it responding to when you when you do something new like that like when you're loading a new program or something like that it's that that quick turnaround regardless of how fast that program will then function is 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 that's going to make it feel faster and well here's the joke okay like my my a core server-based desktop just stupid fast processor wise right right even yeah it's a few years old and it's still it takes it longer to open word than than my laptop right because it's pulling it (laughs) off of a 7200 rpm sata one hard drive right yeah, that <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah. It can really only read data at a certain speed. That splatter cannot spin any faster. And, you know, you have a, a newer machine that's, say, maybe only a dual core, but has a faster I.O. I mean, damn, that's bang. You're done. Program's gonna, bang. Which right, just means that uh, that that uh, that desktop is going to get an SSD relatively soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so it's like got to take off everything off the root drive that you don't necessarily need on there and, and see how small an SSD you can get away with. <laughs> absolutely. No, that's absolutely it. And I, I think it's going to be pretty damn small, too, to be honest. Well, and that's the thing, too, with SSDs. I, I mean, uh, for, for people who are kind of just thinking about maybe getting into doing this is that you don't really need to store necessarily the data on on that primary machine if you're doing this for a desktop right like i mean if if you're going to be having a bunch of video or something like that you that could be on a on a platter drive like a normal standard drive because i mean that is only going to read at a consistent speed anyway and um it's not really what you're putting an SSD in there for. You're not putting it in there for storage. You're putting it in there for performance. And where that really makes sense is having all of your application files, like Word, the, the actual Word install, not necessarily the docs, but the install itself being really fast to ex- access. That means the program itself will run faster. And it, I mean... I in, think in, it's yeah. not... Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's not going to be a problem getting under 100 gig 
easy under hundred where there's some space left, you know? Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think the sweet spot on SSDs right now is about 160 gigs. Oh well, then that's SSD. fine. I'm going to be underneath that easy. Oh, okay, yeah. That's just not going to be a problem. Yeah. So I mean, uh, yeah. And then what what's good about like for example, we're talking about doing this on a Mac. What you can do is plug in both hard drives at the same time and use a program called Carbon Copy Cloner, which is free. <laughs> Clone the entire hard drive, and then. Yeah, what's great is I have a free and bay. And just put in it, it in as the main bay. Yeah. <laughs> and so done. literally, all I have to do is just put it in the bay and, and do run clone and then swap the bays. Right. Yeah. The, the, only other, the only other thing that would have to be worried about with the Mac Pro specifically is that because it's got that special drive rail thing, you need a, a rail adapter specifically for the Pro. But I mean, yeah. you just put it in there, clone it, and then swap the drives around in order, and you're done. Well, and that's the thing is that, uh, like I said, I had there are four bays in it, and only three of them are full. Oh, well, then you're golden. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I can literally just slide it in one of the bays and then pull them out in their nice, pretty aluminum holders and just swap them. And <laughs> Yeah, and then, and then it'll boot yeah. off the SSD instead of the hard drive, and you're going to see an instant speed up. I think that's going to happen in the very near future. It, it, it's definitely going to be a way to extend the life of a machine. Like, I cannot tell you how glad i was when i when i went to the ssd on the mini and that's on the mini yeah yeah it's uh, it's got to happen yeah i I think it's got to happen well speaking of lifespan this next uh this next item on the list is really awesome because i i i had one of these and i know everybody it's in vogue now to talk about how you oh i had one of those and then you know start describing it in a way that indicates that you clearly did not have one of those um (laughs) you know what i mean and you're you sit there and you're like yeah yeah, not yep. so much. But no, the uh, the Apple II turned 35 this last week. 35. Yeah. I, I, I never had one personally, but um, we had a, a kind of a secondary computer lab that had a bunch of them uh, at my elementary school. <laughs> they, they, were, they, they had been replaced by the Macintosh Pluses at yeah. the time. And they, they, basically, it was like four or five of them in this kind of effectively abandoned classroom that uh, basically they were just um, they were just uh, organ trail machines. Organ trail machines. It's so funny, too. We uh, actually, the first computer that, that we had, I, I took a class. Um, God, I, I get to lying about when this was, but it must have been around 1980. Okay. Because, um, yeah, so I and I took a class uh, in basic programming that used uh, uh, Trash Eighty color computers. Okay, yeah. yeah. And then um, after that, I wanted to continue, and of course, I couldn't because I, we didn't own a computer, and they were very expensive back then. Uh, especially for us, we weren't real loaded either. And between so so essentially, I would write the programs in a notebook, and you know, and and learn to and and pretend to execute them as a computer. Which is funny because actually, as a programmer, that's an awesome thing to do. That is a great exercise. <laughs> it really makes you analyze how the code that you're writing works. I still find that I troubleshoot faster than most people I know because that's what you do. You look at it and you're like, well, what does that actually do? Yeah. So let's you know? let's walk through it by hand. <laughs> And read each line into memory, like as in your yeah. own memory. <laughs> well, wait a minute. And see what it's doing. <laughs> That's not what you think it does. Let's look at that, you know, or or even you know what I'm saying. 
So it worked out really well. But then eventually I was like, look, I really want a computer. We couldn't. So I had gone back to take another class and the place had uh, at that time had uh, um, uh, Commodore Pets. You remember the big single, uh, you know, uh, well, you know, built in green screen. Oh, right, those? right, right, right. Yeah, we had those and uh, uh, and no no storage for them, actually, at the time. They had cassette decks there and they Not couldn't the afford the, the drives. the cash register keyboard kind of? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the funny thing is, so so yeah, I uh, um, we rented it. And essentially the way it worked is we had to bring it back for the class each week. So we'd like drag it back up and plug it in. They'd use it for the class and then I'd bring it back home and I'd have it all week, you know? Right. And again, still had to write everything down in a notebook because I didn't have any storage for it. Yeah. Uh, but but it was fun. And uh, and then eventually I got into the computer lab at the college, which which had those same pets, but had had floppies for them. The dual floppy, which is really funny. This is a great. They uh, you you plugged into you could plug two computers into the same dual floppy drive, and you had access to either one of the floppies from either oh. computer. Right, right. I, yeah. So it was great. I, you, I had never actually personally played with one of these, but I think I, I kind of stared through the glass at one of them at the, uh, the Victorian <laughs> uh, local uh, like PC museum. Uh, no, it was funny because you learn the sound of the formatting, you know, so that you, you, you yeah. do that one hand, I come out with my disc, you know, kind of thing. But anyway... Long yeah. story short, uh, I finally, you know, my family saved up and we bought our first computer, which was an Apple II Plus, uh, which oh. came out right after the two and was virtually indistinguishable. There were there there are almost no differences. Um, I think they had updated the board and like the amount of memory that was on. Exactly. On, well, on yeah, the thing. I mean, 64K. The, the architecture stayed pretty much the same. Yeah, totally. And uh, uh, a few little differences, you know, it didn't have that. You'll notice that big power light on the front of the uh, of the two that wasn't on the two plus. So you can see that the one in the picture in the article, that's a two. Right. Uh, from a distance, you can tell. Ours looked very similar because the case was identical. And uh, let's see, we had two items in it. We had an 80 column card in it, which was a card that gave you an 80 column display instead of the 40 that you got. Oh, OK. Yeah, yeah. Which was kind of cool, and uh, which you use sometimes. And we had a modem in it, which was pretty cool as well. Uh, what was really cool about the modem was that the modem was, uh, it was an auto dial modem, uh, which was rare back then. Most of them were still external where you would dial and then plug them in. Oh, the, uh, the suction cup uh, kind of. Well, or handset plugs, yeah. either way. You know, most of them were, the, the suction cup really sucked balls. You know, normally you'd use the handset style where you would dial and then you'd unplug the, the handset off the phone and plug the handset cable into it. Oh, okay. I get what you mean. Yeah. God, what's yeah. it called? It's the, the, I can't, I wish I could remember these. You know, the RJ45 is a network cable and the RJ11 is, is a standard telephone four pin cable. Yeah, and then RJ nine is the little tiny one. Yeah, that's the one. That's it. The, the, actually, what's funny is that those those designations are completely inaccurate based on the standard. <laughs> that's what everyone knows them as. Yeah, whatever. You know, <laughs> you yep. get used to it. So anyway, RJ nine. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm I'm running off track here, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was a yeah. great great piece of equipment. We had two floppy drives, just like the one in the picture there. Uh, we had an aftermarket monitor on it. We didn't have the Apple monitor because there's no reason to buy it. It was just a TV. Well, it was anyway. what? Just a. It was just kind of a standard. Uh, it had a composite TV. input. Yeah. So yeah. anything that had a composite input that you were you were fine, right? Yeah, it was a TV without sound. Yeah. 
And uh, it, it was funny. I mean, I remember doing a lot with that. I mean, I did a lot of programming, which was great. You could save. You know, I had a floppy. Um, that auto-dial modem, you could do all kinds of neat crap with. I mean, that was my first BBS experiences were on that 2+. Plus. Um, and in fact, you know, I tried to write my own, which was fun and didn't work very well. But write was, your own BBS? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. But but I learned a lot about it, and I certainly yep. used, like, I think I told this story on, on GWC a long time back that I wanted to, you know, I wanted to prank call my band director during class, and I wanted to be there to see it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I had written this program that displayed a big clock on the screen before just as a programming example, right? And I'm like, well, hey, you know, it knows what time it is. Should be easy, right? Yeah. So sure enough, I just went in and wrote some code to go in and call him like every, you know, starting at a given time, every five minutes for like five calls and then stop. Right. Right. And the best thing was, is so I'm sitting in class, you know, and I'm watching my watch and the phone rings, you know, and he goes and it's a it's you know, it's it's a, a no nobody on the other end. So he hangs up, you know, and he comes back out and he does this thing and it rings five minutes later and it's another person, you know. And and he gets madder, you know, and then he gets much madder the third time. And by the fifth time, he won't answer it. It just rings for like, you know, <laughs> all this. It was great, you know, and I realized I actually got to prank call somebody. And I was sitting there with them when it happened. Now that would be no big deal. But back then, that was, you know, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Well, yeah, the, the days of, of mobile phones means you could just do that from under your desk and be trackable with caller ID. But I mean, that. That is you know, like, that's a pretty cool accomplishment back you know, like in the day. <laughs> 80, 81, 82, you know, that's not that's not bad, you know? Yeah, not not too shabby. <laughs> I also played Ultima one and two on it. Okay. Which was great. And uh I remember I mean forget Oregon Trail. You know, I gotta tell you, Ultima one and two was really cool because Ultima two uh, you had, uh, you know, you had different planets and you, you could build a space shuttle and right. I mean, all this crap, that was a lot of fun. You know, it was a good game. There was a lot you could do with those. They were considering that it was, I, I'm not joking, a one megahertz, megahertz. Yeah. 6502, you know, I okay. mean, it was a surprisingly capable piece of gear, you know? Well, that 6502 processor got used in, like, everything for the longest time. It was. You are not kidding right there. It, it, it was, like, the kind of go-to... Uh, it, was, it was the go-to processor for a while, even after after it, it kind of was too slow for, like, desktop machines. It was used in integrated stuff for, I mean, for Jesus forever. Uh, you know, actually, I was... The other, the other thing I come across um, in relation to the Apple II is that... I mean, some people don't know how far back the Prince of Persia series goes, <laughs> but it goes back to the Apple II. And the, just recently, the guy that originally developed uh, that originally developed Prince of Persia on the Apple II found his source code disks for the game. And what was cool is that he went to like one of these like uh, Apple archivists that had all the old gear and uh, and a way to read <laughs> these discs, got the source code off, found a PDF or not a PDF, found documents and scanned them to a PDF, which was like a development uh, guide for people that were wanting to pr- port Prince of Persia around to different platforms. Oh, that's awesome. And published all of this stuff up on... Uh, up on one of these common code repositories, like on uh, GitHub or something like that. Oh, yeah, there it is. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> it 
Look at that. So, it's like if you if you want to see how a video game was programmed on a sixty five oh two assembly language, that's available now. And and that's that's actually kind of really cool because some of that stuff has kind of gotten lost to the ages. I mean, th- th- this is back in the day when, you know, programming is very, very, very different. I mean, now you just, you know, write, oh, I just write everything in Java. Who cares about memory collection and move on? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> 6502 didn't really have that many resources. So you'd be programming very tightly. And I mean, I never really got that far into assembly, but it, it you, you got you to gotta pay attention to what you're doing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and to go to the complexity of programming a game uh, and then making it work on such restrictive hardware and then coming, coming into it, like, uh, what was it? In 1989, the game was. So, you know, we're, we're, we're quite a ways on there, like, tw- what, 23 years afterwards, getting to see the differences on how pr- in programming practices from then to now is, is actually a really cool opportunity. Yeah, it is. That is really cool. That is Matt, really cool. Every time I come across one of these articles, I just want to go in and, and kind of, you know, I get that nostalgia feeling. Like, I want to go back and, and kind of do that kind of old-style gaming or, or you know, programming again. You know, I think that's what drives people to, like, you know, uh, uh, the Arduino and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Is the idea of, of working in a restrictive envi- a restricted environment, but yet you know, one that allows you to kind of be creative in a way that you can't in a much more, I guess it's like the difference between you could, you know, technically you can, you could make really high end, you know, you could make the equivalent of like a fully, uh, you know, a feature CGI movie back from five, you know, eight years ago now on your desktop. But the problem is the skill required to do that is just, it's not just the equipment, it's the skill and it's incredible and the manpower, you know, it's not something you could do by yourself. You would need a team of, of 20, 50 people, you know, and a lot of time. Whereas, whereas you could go out and you can make some kind of, you know, you can make TV like, you know, from 10 years ago, no problem on your own without it, without it being a problem. So people do that and that's fun and that's interesting. If you look at video game development right now, in fact, we had a discussion about this this week in GWC about how the, um, you know, I, I forget what it was called, but do you remember how they released, uh, Microsoft released the uh, that whole development kit for developing for Xbox Live Arcade? Oh, yes, yeah. And yeah, and at first everybody laughed because they're like, oh, it's so it's backwards. It's so, you know, it's like developing 16-bit games. Who the hell would want to do this? I don't understand. And actually, a lot of people want to do this because it may it's easy enough now that you can actually have an exp- – you can take an idea you have and express it with that on your own in a reasonable amount of time and even distribute it via the Xbox, you know, via Xbox Live without it being a nightmare. So I think that's right. what's driving that kind of thing is actually driving a lot of people backwards in a good way, you know, to go and say, let's take these old technology, let's emulate it or let's do something similar and then let's be creative with it and create things that are really cool. You're not alone. Is oh, what yeah. I'm saying. No, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I got to now. Now I'm going to have to go figure out how to emulate an apple too though <laughs> yeah i think that might be in our future i, I could see that 
Plus some of those other games would be fun to go back and look at, see if they hold up. They probably don't, but <laughs> you know, well, I, I guess it would depend on the style of game though. Like if it was like Oregon trailer or, or a mud or something like that, it, it I mean, the, the text-based stuff probably holds up just as well. Sure. If you're using the same part of your, your brain kind of thing. Like if, you know, maybe some of some of the graphics of some of, I mean, when, uh, back like a, a year or two ago when we did the, uh, the, the ET, revisit with uh with audra on gwc it become very very becomes very apparent how primitive some of the graphics technology was back then yeah but if you get into some of those uh games where it's more storytelling or more strategy or something like that i don't know maybe they would hold up a little bit better than ones that were like hey look at all this flashy stuff that's going on on the screen and now yeah. it just looks like 40 lines of garbage yeah <laughs> Needed more imagination back then. Yeah. This next one I noticed as well, and it really, I think, is an indicator of where things are headed. Well, are we talking about Windows 8 here? Yes, we are. <laughs> Speaking of not 40 lines of garbage, uh, they finally announced the different various versions of Windows 8 that will be coming out. And surprisingly, we are going to have a very simplified product line uh, this time around. Now, uh, effectively, there's going to be three versions of it. Now, we got to take one aside here for a moment because there's one version that's going to be built for running on like tablets and like uh, portable devices uh, on, uh, based on the ARM processor rather than a normal desktop machine. Right. Now, that, that's called Windows RT, um, which is going to, it's, it's not going to be something you ever install. It's like, you know how like, you know, you buy an iPad or an Android device. The OS is already on there. Got it. So that's that style. So it's going to have all of the kind of Windows 8 functionality, but not any of the, you know, run your old Windows 7 and previous applications or anything like that. Um, it's going to be built as a mobile device in the, in the similar way to how Windows Phone 7 is right now. Sure. So that, that one's kind of standalone. So what you're really looking at is a choice between Windows 8 and Windows 8 Pro. Now, first of all, I love that they've simplified this. Oh, yeah, because it was, it was just a complete joke. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they've, they've even done to the point where they've, like, you know, let you quick switch between uh, OS languages and stuff like that. They've really simplified the product line down. Um, so the, the ma- I, I, I look through this list. There's a checklist um, that I came across. And really the main differences with Windows 8 through Windows 8 Pro, I would say that um, 99. No, what's Do- that? Domain join. That's the big one. Pretty much. Yeah. Basically, if, if you are like 99% of the listeners, if, if they're getting a Windows 8 machine, are just going to get Windows 8, not Windows 8 Pro. I mean, you got, you got like a remote desktop server with Windows 8 Pro, which most people don't need. You know, Hyper-V, which is a Windows server thing anyway. Um, uh, you know, BitLocker and uh, boot from uh, VHD, encrypted file system. All the stuff that you would use as a business is yeah. in the Pro version. Yeah. Now, the only one hiccup that I found here that might catch some people up. Um, basically, um, first of all, if you have like Windows 7 Starter, Home Basic, or Home Premium, yeah, you'll be able to upgrade from Win, Win 7 just straight up to Windows 8. Um, I've, the, the, obviously, there'll be some price, which they haven't announced yet. Um, the only difference, though, is that if you have uh, Windows 7 Pro or Ultimate, 
which a lot of people actually have. Um, if you've bought the, uh, if you, a lot of places, if you buy like the educational version, it'll actually be ultimate. Right. That's, you can't upgrade from win seven ultimate to win eight. You have to go to win eight pro. Yeah, that is interesting. That, that's interesting. So if you wanted to just go for Windows 8, you would either have to reinstall fresh with Windows 8 or uh, bite the bullet and go with Windows 8 Pro. Um, that being said, I mean, if, if at all possible, there's no reason to, I, I, unless you're doing this for business, I don't think there's any reason to go with Windows 8 Pro. Yeah, it'll depend on what the upgrade uh, prices are as to whether that's an issue or not. That's what it comes down to, is if, if the upgrade price from Ultimate to, to Pro is is not that is not worth getting a flat out straight up copy of windows eight and you're probably all right to just upgrade. But the other, I, I, the, I don't know. I was, I was a little concerned about that, but not enough to really feel bad about that. I'm really glad that they're solidifying this product line. It's, it's getting, yeah. it's getting to the point where I'm feeling a lot more comfortable uh, about, um, their strategy, at least for, for, for releasing this to the, to the public. It, I mean, with starter and home basic and home premium, it's just, it, they kind of went off the deep end, I think. <laughs> you know what's really interesting, too, if you look at this list? Notice that Windows RT ships with Office. That was a very, interest, a very interesting point. And I think that's brilliant. What I'm, think, what I'm really hoping for is that they've got like a radical redesign of Office for Metro. Yeah. Metro. And that, I would love to see that more than anything. I mean, the the... The what what do they call it? The ribbon bar? Yeah. The ribbon bar actually made me use a lot more features of Word and Excel really? that I, I that I hadn't before. It's just it made it more visible to find a lot of the stuff. Um rather than the file menu and you know that kind of stuff and just un, un unassuming icons that I didn't know what they did. It actually did make a few more things like um like in Word like um document themes and stuff like that 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 no, normally i would just flat out customize it myself but you know you can switch between different styles and stuff like that and it makes it really easy to do that <clears throat> i i didn't even really even thought about doing that before the the ribbon came across and it's it's just a point where i had used win uh, office since say windows 3.0 so long that i had just gotten locked into my own process and when they shook it up and I had to change my process, then I found better ways of doing things. Yeah. I got used to the ribbon bar, but I've never really, I don't know. It's never turned me on. That's, that's the most interesting positive thing I've heard about it. I, w- I would say I don't, I don't miss the other style. <laughs> if, if, if that's, that's as far as I'm really willing to go on enthusiasm, I would say. But I mean, I've, I, I have a new flow of 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 my work and and that's how and i using the ribbon a lot more so uh, but what i'm really hoping with metro is that they like make it very kind of like touch inspired yeah that, you know like yeah like make it work for this new ui if you're gonna shake this up really shake it up i mean especially if it's coming with the uh the tablet version of, of yes. windows just just Go completely all out and change it. I mean, you're already, especially with Windows RT, you're not uh, going to have backwards compatible versions of programs available anyway. You know so what, though? Just go for it. Just yeah. make it and what it should be based on the new design. That could totally, totally eat into the iPad market as well, because the one thing that's yeah. still pretty miserable, just because nobody's 
really put together an app that takes full use of it yet makes full use of it probably because it's not what people do with the device though <laughs> um is is you know edit edit documents i mean office documents yeah office documents yeah quick office is still the best when it comes to just dealing with them when you have to like somebody emailed you one maybe you need to make a little change send it back to them or something <laughs> yeah that's far and away the best way you know best app on ios to deal with it but uh nobody's really handling it right yet and if they did that that would be a real selling point not enough to drag me off i don't think but it would be a hell of a selling point right and and I, what i'm hoping is that the reason that we haven't seen like microsoft uh, office products show up on ios is because they've been they want to be working on this yeah. like you know okay we're gonna be putting out these windows tablets we're gonna have this new office design let's really blow everyone else out of the water and make this the tablet for business speaking of tablets uh yeah um there, there was one there's one final thing here that i i saw from logitech uh which i mean is in my opinion one of the best uh peripheral manufacturers in the world i mean i've been i've been using their stuff for years and i mean huge fan of them um they are thinking uh or they are releasing this um effectively half case half stand half keyboard for the ipad and it's an ultra thin keyboard that is like the a slightly thicker than like one of those magnet cases for for, for the new style ipads uh-huh but it's got a Bluetooth keyboard built into it, and it also has a little groove so that you can like when you pop it when you open it up, you can also make it an iPad stand and for about it looks like it's going to be for a us uh, ninety nine ninety nine which, I mean, if you're going with one of those leather iPad cases, isn't that much more than a standard case. True. Now, the, the reason I wanted to bring this up, I mean, it's a cool peripheral and everything, and, and it's, it looks like something that could probably sell pretty well. Um, I wanted to ask you specifically, um, you, I, I know that you're a pretty heavy iPad user, mm-hmm. um, especially, um, you know, like you know, going around with class and, and stuff around. Have you gotten to the point where you could see yourself using a device like this? Uh, I could not see myself using a okay. device like this, no matter how thin it was or anything else. And I think the reason, but I, I want to point out that a lot of people disagree with me on this. So, okay. um, you know, I think you kind of have to make your own decision about it. But uh, like uh, Sean actually carries a uh, a Bluetooth keyboard sometimes, which he will use to write blog posts on his phone. Mm. You know, just because right. he doesn't care about the screen, he just as long as he can see enough to do it, and he just but he can't type on it at any speed. So he's a big believer in that, and he'll carry a little Bluetooth keyboard around, and he'll you know to be able to do that. Um, my attitude, I think, is a little bit different. And uh, I would totally respect if people when people do disagree with me on this. But for me, what makes the iPad better than a laptop in certain situations is its form factor. So the minute you just turn it into a laptop, it becomes a really crappy laptop. (laughs) Okay, you're right. I I see where you're coming with. You know, it's sort of like uh, it's it's incredible as a tablet. But as a laptop, it sucks, kind of, you know? So right. what this does is it makes it a really crappy laptop. And 
again, I think if you were one of those people that found that you just didn't really need to do anything except write on it every now and then, and it could save you carrying a laptop because you could throw this case or this keyboard in your bag or something and it works out for you, then cool. Good for you. I think that works out. Um, for me, I, I have a MacBook Air. Uh, I happened to just out of interest throw both of them on the food scale this morning because you okay, and I, yeah. you and yeah. you and I were kind of kidding around about it. I'm like, you know, they're not that different in weight. <laughs> and we're like, well, let's find out, you know. So my uh, original first gen iPad, iPad with a, a the standard case on it, right? I throw it on and it's like 880 grams or something. Right. Um, I throw the MacBook Air on there and it's 1310 grams. So, I mean, we're literally talking about like 400 grams difference between the iPad and the Air. Right. And in a backpack or a, you know, a a briefcase, there's plenty of room for a 13-inch Air, even the big one. Um, So if you really were going to find yourself doing keyboard-intensive tasks all the time, um, I think the thing would be to just skip the iPad altogether and right. instead get yourself a a you know a small a small laptop of some kind um if on the other hand there is a price difference you should be aware <laughs> oh yeah I'm, I'm, I'm not unaware that there's a price difference between the two um yeah. but that might work uh, the ipad is really magic when it comes to or tablets in general right but especially the ipad with its with its ui is is really magic in terms of reading, in terms of marking up things that you're reading, in terms of handling email and uh, and, and basic tasks like that, connected tasks, browsing the web and things like that. It's just it's just awesome, you know the 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 way you can hold it like you would literally like they did in 2001. You know you can hold it, you can lay it on the table and so on. Uh, you know if you want to play draw something, things like that. I mean it's badass. Uh, on the other, it just kicks the crap out of a laptop, but as a laptop, not so much, you know, you got to remember too, that the apps that you are available, like we just talked about, literally the apps that are available for word processing pretty much suck on it as well. Uh, so I, I did hear that there's a version of uh, final draft going to be either available or going to be available soon. Right. So those of you who do screenwriting, that might make the iPad all of a sudden more viable and, uh, who knows if you were doing some screenwriting, uh, something like this might <clears throat> might be just killer for you. Yeah. One one thing I would say is that comparing this to the Apple Dock keyboard that they offer, or the or a Bluetooth uh, the the Apple Bluetooth keyboard, I would say this this looks it's like prettier, a better design. It's and, prettier and it's more portable. I mean, no arguments there. Well, yeah, it's more portable. Especially it would be the point is that if you're having to carry around that dock. I mean, that dock is pretty cumbersome, especially with that whole dock connector and stand thing. It, it can be pretty thick in a bag. And this, this kind of just hugs the iPad, oh, yeah. stays out of the way. And apparently it runs on its own power and can get six months battery life. I believe it. Yeah, it's like, I mean, it's like putting batteries in your keyboard. You know, it's just enough time for you to forget and run out of batteries. Yeah. <laughs> I, I honestly, this is clearly the best looking keyboard I have seen for it. If you were, if you wanted a keyboard, you had one of those use cases that justifies carrying a keyboard around with your iPad. This would be the one to carry around, you know? If, if you like the Apple design, this actually, the, the key style still looks very similar to the Apple style keyboard, too. So um, I don't think you're really losing anything no. by choosing this over the dock style one. 
and I think the the space game that you would, if you are going with this type of this keeps it portable for iPad, this keeps it portable. Yeah, this totally keeps it portable, which is nice. Ooh, you know what I love? I love that in the text for it they say works with iPad two comma iPad third generation. You know, I'm completely sold on, like on it just being the iPad now. Yeah, I, it's funny. We were, we were talking about this beforehand, and what's really funny is when you think about the kind of furor that came up over this, in hindsight, it's really funny because, like, I mean, you never bought, you know, like, say, uh, an iPod 5. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, or, or, was or one. a Mac Mini 7. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there, there, there certainly are. An both iMac of those. 29. <laughs> those both exist, you know. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's just that uh, it's just that, you know, like with the, it was always the iPod and the new one was the iPod. But, you know, when you asked which one do you have when it was time to buy like a, an accessory or something, you'd be like, oh, I have the third gen or I have the fourth gen or the fifth gen or whatever. And right, yeah, uh, there, there, there's always a way to determine it. I, I, I the, the way the reason the way it clicked for me was when I had come across a review of, of um, I'm not crapping on Android tablets, but the, the naming convention of one of one was silly. It was a bit like of a joke. Like the Samsung um, Galaxy Tab 2 7.0. And, and, the, and the, the person reviewing it couldn't, couldn't really pare that name down more than just getting rid of the Samsung name off the front. So you see a lot of the tablet or it in the, right. in the copy. Yeah, the tablet or it, yeah. And it's, it's like, when it comes down to it, do we really need the model numbers? Do we need, really need these processor speeds listed and stuff like that? If it works well for the way it's designed, does it really? Do you really need to to obsess over these numbers? And I, 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 the more I think about it, the more I would argue that no, you really don't. Yeah, I, it's definitely and 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 it certainly hasn't been in the past uh, with Apple or with almost anyone else. I mean, like I said, it, it it's funny in hindsight that it it's not that they're changing directions all of a sudden it's that the iphone for a very brief period was an aberration you know that, that, that is true yeah i mean <laughs> like like we said you don't see an imac 12 or a ipod 7 yeah it's it just, just got screwed up when the 3g happened to line up with 3g service and then all of a sudden the mistake was four instead of the you know the new iphone <laughs> I, I still think that they're. I think I think they just got annoyed that people kept calling it the 4G and the 4GS. It's like that's not the name. <laughs> Damn Fine. it! We're gonna call it the iPad. Are you gonna like it? <laughs> Deal with it. <laughs> but I love that it's because it, it, we were kidding about this earlier. We're like, it'll it'll you know, and it, this makes sense. It'll be just like iPods. You know, for accessories, they'll identify the generation of it, and most people won't give a damn. You know, and that's exactly what we see here. They actually says for iPad third generation. Like, oh, yeah. nice. and it's easy enough to find, figure out what generation it is too. I mean, yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> we live in the era of just googling things. I mean, you can Google your model number; it'll tell you exactly what it is with exactly what features. I mean, it's not that difficult anymore. No kidding. No kidding. Well, I guess we should wrap up. You got anything to add here, Juan? Uh, nope. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll be back next week with more Modern Geek. From everyone here at Modern Geek and GWC, thanks for listening. If you have something to add to the show, a news tip, feedback on anything we've discussed, or just some random awesomeness, we'd love to hear from you. 
give us a call at 214-296-9229. That's 214-296-9229. And follow the instructions there to leave us a message for inclusion in a future podcast. You'll find other GWC podcasts as well as the friendliest people in geekdom on the GWC website and forum, galacticwatercooler.com. And don't forget, financial support from listeners like you keep all GWC podcasts on the net each week. To find out how to donate, visit galacticwatercooler.com slash donate.